Well, we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, mainly in verse 17 today, which is a well-known verse, and yet a verse that's usually, or often at least, taken out of context. But today we're going to look at it in context, and so instead of just reading verse 17, I'm going to read 12 to 18. And I will uh, give you a little signal when we get to 17 so that you will know that this is the verse that we're going to be talking about. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their hearts were hardened. I'm sorry, their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Here's a verse. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now last week we looked at verses 14 to 16 and the theme of being veiled and being unveiled. Today... We look at 17, as I said, which the theme of liberation by the Lord. Now, the background is that Paul is writing in order to counter the Judaizing false apostles who had come into the church at Corinth, who are still stuck in the old covenant way of thinking, And he's been contrasting, therefore, the old covenant way with the new covenant. Showing that the new is more glorious than the old. And that the old was destined to fade. The new covenant, of course, is centered on the Lord Jesus Christ. Who men must turn to now for salvation. But the new covenant is also not just the covenant of Christ. But the new covenant is the covenant of the Spirit. It's called that in verse 6. It says in verse 8, it refers to it as the ministry of the Spirit, or a ministry of the Spirit. Paul is anxious to identify the Lord Jesus with the Holy Spirit in this passage. Very clearly, he's putting them both together. They're on the same team. They're on the, doing the same work. And the, partly, probably... This was a result of the Judaizers um, saying that they believed in Jesus, although he tells us later that they believe in a different Jesus, and, but not really grasping the concept of the Holy Spirit. Now it may seem strange to our Trinitarian ears to hear Paul say that um, the Lord, refer to the Lord who is the Spirit? Now, 
The members of the Trinity, though, are so closely identified with each other that at times the label of one is actually applied to another. For instance, in Isaiah 9, when it's referring to Jesus, it says, and his name shall be called Everlasting Father. And so here Paul is doing something similar, it seems, wanting to show how closely interrelated the ministry of Jesus and the Spirit are. In this age that we live in, the Lord Jesus is present with us through the Spirit. In his, the Spirit in Romans 8-9 is called the Spirit of Christ. Just as Jesus and the Father are one, so the Lord and the Spirit are one. And it's very important for us who are believers to have an understanding of the role that the Holy Spirit plays in our lives. We live in the age of the Spirit. By giving us His Spirit, God has well equipped us for life in this age of struggle. So it is our great loss if we know little about the Spirit or about His role in our lives. About our Helper. The New Covenant is spoken of in language distinct from the Old Covenant. And there's many different things that are said about the Old Covenant, said about the New Covenant. We've already seen Paul refer to the Old Covenant as a ministry of death, imply that the New Covenant is a ministry of life. We saw him speak of the Old as having little glory, surpassed by the glory of the New. We saw him say that the Old was passing away, the New was perpetual. We saw Paul speak of the Old Covenant as a covenant with people veiled to the glory of God. Whereas the New Covenant, when someone comes to Christ, the veil is removed and he can behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. But here, Paul introduces two other distinctives about the New Covenant, which in my my knowledge, according to my knowledge, are never used to describe the Old Covenant. One is that it's a covenant of the Spirit, and the other is that it's a covenant of freedom, covenant of liberty. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. This is a better age, even than when Jesus was on the earth. And so, and now, we, in that verse also, you can see how the ministry of the Lord and the ministry of the Spirit are so connected that Jesus actually sends him to take his place in a sense. We also, the Spirit of the Lord is the great liberator of sinners. Where the Spirit of the Lord, there is liberty. Now let's think about what Paul says when he says that. That the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom or liberty. First of all, it shouldn't surprise us to hear him say that, because when Jesus introduced himself in Luke 4, you know, with the words of Isaiah... 61. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And again, here in that passage, we have the Spirit, we have the liberty. We have the opening of the eyes of the blind, all knitted together just like here in this passage. 
So what is this freedom that Jesus and the Spirit bring, which Paul is talking about here? There are many aspects to the freedom that Christ gives. But the most obvious one here, the the one that's at least on the forefront of Paul's mind, it would seem, is this freedom from spiritual blindness. The freedom of being able to see the glory of God, which was obscured to you before. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Talking about the same thing, the freedom of the removed veil. And now we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So in the context, that's what's going on. Paul is talking about the blessing of having our spiritual blinders removed. Enabling us to see the glory of God. If you ask people what they think of when they think of freedom, or what kind of freedom they long for, you'd get a lot of different answers. Freedom from having to work. Freedom from my tyrannical parents. Freedom from an overbearing boss. Freedom from sickness. Freedom from the effects of aging. Many think of freedom as freedom to do whatever they want. That's not easy to knock down. Um, A person who's addicted to drugs is doing what he wants. But addiction is not freedom. But Christ has given us a freedom that is so much greater than these others. That one can have a full and joyful freedom even while experiencing Toilsome work, tyrannical authority, sickness, the effects of aging, and even slavery. For Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7.22, For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. You know, just because you're a slave doesn't mean you're not free. You're free in Christ. And that's far greater than... than the, the reality of being a slave. Even in the church today, you hear sometimes notions of freedom like political freedom, freedom of the will, freedom to sin, freedom from God's moral law. But these, and, and these kinds of freedom are so much less significant than the freedom that the, the big freedom that we're talk, that is talked about in the New Testament, the freedom of the open eyes, the freedom of the open heart, the freedom of being set free from the, from the slavery that we experienced in the past. We'll get to that in a minute. You see, we can't define freedom just by using our imagination. And, you know, when people do... Those who haven't experienced the freedom of Christ, they always think of other kinds of freedom that that are... But when we understand, and when we look at the context of the passage, we understand that it is a deeper freedom, a freedom that makes other notions of freedom look almost trivial. 
even though some of them are real blessings of God. But here the image is that, that the freedom of freedom from blindness, freedom from spiritual blindness. Think about the freedom that uh, think of lack of freedom that a person who's blind has. Imagine if you were completely blind. You don't know what's going on around you, pretty much. You can't see beauty. You can't see danger. You're left with your own imaginations of what's out there. You might hear something, you have no idea what it is. You're always afraid, you want to stay right where you are and and you're afraid to do stuff because you don't know what's out there. The world is a scary place. And And those who are blind, the way that they get meaningful lives is... They, they, they can share other people's eyes so that they can see something through others who help them and, and, uh, and guide them. But on their own, their blindness is quite a, um, a detriment. And I think that that gives us a little picture, just a little glimpse of the freedom of being able to see. For me, I am one who has experienced this freedom in a sudden way. Before I met Christ, I was really blind. But when my veil was removed, I experienced true freedom for the first time. The freedom, for instance, of knowing that there is a God overall who loves me. A God who rules the universe in light of that love for me. Freedom from the emptiness of my soul. This, I mean, it was when I first became a Christian, when God first opened my eyes, there was a a radical nothingness that suddenly went away in my life. An emptiness that, uh, that uh, you know, I didn't even realize it. Some people realize that they're living empty lives, but I was too young yet. Once, once the Lord came into my life, I realized how empty my life had been. A freedom from a deep and profound aloneness. That was perhaps the greatest sense of freedom of all for me. Is that the Lord, I I now had someone. I had one who loved me, one who was there and always there. Freedom from meaninglessness. Freedom from purposelessness. Freedom from having to figure everything out on my own. Freedom from shame and a deep sense of guilt. I experienced the freedom 
of knowing that the story of my life and even the story of the world were going to have a happy ending. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. That's a great hymn by Charles Wesley. And that is the freedom that Paul's talking about here in 2 Corinthians 3. The free, and, it, and it even uses the blindness. The scriptures teach us what we are really enslaved to. What we really need to be freed of. The tyrants of our lives are not difficult job situations or difficult marriages or not the, the tedious grind of working long hours or working at a frantic pace. Our tyrants are not parents or bosses or corrupt politicians or diseases or households of kids. Our real tyrants are not poverty or prisons or dictators or famines or epidemics or natural disasters. Our real tyrants are sin and guilt and unbelief and ignorance of God and worry and the fear of man and self-righteousness and death and hell and Satan. Our biggest problem is a law that must be perfectly obeyed to achieve favor with God. And in Christ we have been set free from all this. And that is real freedom. There never was a tyrant like sin. There was never a cruel dominator worse than lust, pride, greed, hate, anger. There was never an evil master like Satan. There was never an oppressor like <clears throat> despair and gloom and hopelessness. There's never a debt like the guilt of sin. There was never a prison like hell. But Christ has set us free from all these things. And the only true liberty... The only true liberty is found in him. And it's such a powerful liberty that even in the face of tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, and sword, we, he, Paul says, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. That word, overwhelmingly conquer, you may have heard, you know, we're more than conquerors. It's hard to translate this word. Paul made this word up. There's a word for conqueror. But he didn't leave it there. He added a prefix. Basically, the, like our prefix, super. We are super conquerors through him who loved us. Even in face of all these things, all these terrible things, these things that the world thinks are, are the bad stuff going on. 
And he says, even with all that, you are super conquerors through Christ who loves us. That's freedom. That's freedom. I was reading this morning in uh, Isaiah 62. And uh, we used to sing this as a song. I sort of still wish we, wish we still did. But it um, talks about how God will give his people a new name. It says, you shall no longer be called forsaken. Or your land be called desolate. These, these won't be your names anymore. Forsaken, desolate, those won't be your names anymore. But you will be called my delight. And you'll be called married. And you have to understand the theme in the book, especially in the book of Isaiah, where the land is like a, a deserted woman, a barren woman who's just left all on her own, defenseless, with no resources. And, and now, you know, God comes and takes her to be his own. And, and, and now she has someone who loves her. Now she has someone who cares about her and someone who provides for her. And uh, so he says, your name won't be desolate, it won't be forsaken, your name will be my delight is in you. And married, for the Lord delights in you, and he shall be your husband. This is the freedom of the Christian. This is the freedom that Jesus Christ gives. And if the Son sets you free, You'll be free indeed. John 8, 36. Let us pray. Oh Lord our God, we thank you and we want to celebrate together today the work that you did to free us from ourselves, to free us from our enemies, to free us from our guilt and from death itself. We thank you that in Christ, O Lord, there is a bondage that's been broken, that we're now able to see him. I pray for those, even in this room, O Lord, who have not yet experienced that deliverance. Please be at work in each heart, O Lord. Open eyes to see your glory, to see the glory of Jesus. And set us free, we pray. Now help us as we partake of this institution of the Lord's Supper. We pray that you would give us eager hearts to receive Christ himself as we receive these symbols of him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.